Hey, quick note before this episode kicks off. If you're a regular listener to TOEFOP, TOEFOP with friends, two guys, one cup, or philosophy, then we're asking for your help. We want to keep the show free, and that means occasionally throwing some ads in. This is so we can pay our bills for important things like, you know, questionable art by James Fosdyke. Yeah, but we don't want to support businesses that you don't care about anyway. That'd be annoying for you, it's bad for us, and it's useless for the advertiser. So what we're asking is to get a bit of info from you that'll help inform the sort of brands we work with. Yeah, the survey is quick, and everyone who does it goes in the draw to win 100 bucks. Well, a $100 gift voucher anyway. I mean, that's still more than we get for this podcast. Your input will help us work with the right brands and keep the show free. There's a link to the survey in the episode description. It closes soon. Thanks heaps. A listener production. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and today's guest is Andrew Hansen. I love this. Andrew Hansen, of course, you probably know best from The Chaser, but he currently has a show on the ABC Uh, which is a musical version of Australian history. It's called Australian Epic. It was written with Chris Taylor, who, of course, also from The Chaser. And it's a six-part musical documentary series. Uh, It's really fun. It's really funny. And uh, you can catch that on ABC TV, uh, straight after Question Everything, or on ABC iView, which, of course, is where you can watch all of the episodes of Question Everything that have been released so far this year. Uh, when you hear this, if you're hearing this in the week that it comes out, uh, I think there's been six episodes of a nine-episode series so far, including the most recent one that had Gareth Reynolds, Tom Gleeson, and Lizzie Who, and was an absolute cracker. But we've been having such a good time doing the show this year. So uh, that is called Question Everything. You can find that on ABC TV and ABC iView. And while you're there, make sure you check out Australia epic uh, by Andrew Hansen, today's guest. While I'm doing the plugs, I may as well just say thank you to everybody who's been listening to Philosophy this year. It's been so nice to be back doing the show and doing it with so many great comedians from Australia and all over the world. And we've got a whole bunch of uh, other chats that have been banked already. Some of these don't come out in real time uh, because of the nature of my schedule and uh, the comedian schedules and uh, us wanting to be well in advance of recording these episodes so that uh, they come out regularly regardless of what else I have on. Uh, Sometimes, obviously, the conversations themselves aren't reflecting things that might have happened in the last couple of days or months. We're also very aware that not everybody listens to the show the week that it comes out. So hopefully that means that the episodes themselves are a little timeless uh, regardless. Or at the very least, you can kind of work out when when we recorded them. Anyway, I'm rambling too much. You don't need to know all that. You can work that out yourself. You're intelligent people. But if you like this show, please share it with a friend, rate and review it in the podcast catcher that you listen to it, all those sort of things. Um, uh, get it out and about. And particularly if there's a new or young comedian that you haven't heard of that you discovered on this podcast and you want to tell people about them, And that episode, I super appreciate that. The Brett Blake episode, for example, I just think is really magnificent hearing Brett tell his story. And it might not be one of those people that uh, people immediately know the name Brett Blake, but he's a really fantastic comedian and I really loved that episode. So there's one to check out. If you only check out the big names that you have heard of, please do a deeper dive and discover some new people to follow and support. Uh, What else could I tell you? I still have some shows left this year, not many left. Uh, Live TOEFOP in Sydney uh, this weekend, if you're hearing this in the week that it comes out. So Charlie and I, uh, with special guest Gareth Reynolds, will be at the Sydney Comedy Store on Saturday. 
doing TOEFOP. And then the following Saturday, it's my final show uh, for 2023. My final What You Talking About, Will, my improvised stand-up show at the Sydney Comedy Store. I think that's Saturday, December the 2nd or the 3rd, something like that. It's a Saturday afternoon. You can go to the Comedy Store website and all the details will be up there. But I'd love to see you at that, my final gig for the year. So I'd love to go out with a, you know, big fun sold out show to to finish off and go into the break. And then in January, uh, I have three shows that I've added at the Newcastle Comedy Club of what you're talking about, Will. I believe that two of those shows are already sold out. So if you would like to come and see me in Newcastle in January, uh, getting quick for those. My national tour, Will Legitimate, is going to go on sale very soon. A couple of weeks away. A couple of weeks away from going on sale. And I'm going to try and take that all around Australia. When I say all around Australia, I mean... Not all at once, uh, you know, bit by bit, but I'll be starting that in Adelaide and heading to, I don't know, Canberra and Brisbane and Melbourne and Sydney and a bunch of other places as well. So if you are in any of those places and you would like to come and see my brand new show, Will Legitimate, uh, then those tickets will be on sale in the next couple of weeks too. All right. Uh, what else? Oh, oh, there might be a bonus cricket pod uh, talking about the ICC World Cup up in the regular TOEFOP feed this week. Uh, Adam Spencer and I are going to get together on Friday and have a little reminisce about the ICC Cricket World Cup and Australia's victory in the ICC Cricket World Cup. So that should be great fun. And you can find that in the TOEFOP feed. So uh, if you don't know about the TOEFOP feed, basically that's where all the other shows that I make are at the moment. And so Tofop, Tofop with Friends, Two Guys, One Urn, which is the cricket podcast, Two Guys, One Cup, uh, which is the AFL podcast. Uh, there are going to be some changes in the next, you know, uh, weeks and months. All good changes. Basically, we're going to be looking to consolidate everything so that I don't have to come into these uh, introductions and tell you where you can find other stuff. It will be very easy for you to find other stuff. Basically, you will lose nothing. Things will just be more convenient for you, and particularly if you are just listeners of uh, Willosophy, if you're subscribers to this feed and you don't subscribe to any of the other stuff that I do, uh, you're going to get some more bonus content coming your way. There may be a name change to this feed at some stage, but again, Nothing that you need to worry about. If you like philosophy and you're subscribed to philosophy, all you need to do is keep subscribed right here. Uh, you will get all the episodes and you might also get some extra stuff as well. Okay. I feel like that's enough. That was what I needed to do in this introduction. It's so nice uh, that you've tuned in to listen to this episode. If you like it, tell your friends about it. I really enjoyed having a chat to a guy that I've known for a very long time, but don't know very well. I found this really fascinating. This is Andrew Hansen. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will. Ooh, 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 ooh. Mm, no, do that. Do it again. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Take, take should two. Should I? Should I do? Should I take two? No, actually, should no, I just... Let's go with that. Go Hello, with that. That was fine. And welcome to. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> yeah, Hello, that's fine. And welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. It is actually quite a tongue twister that I've given myself, <laughs> and there's no real reason for me to introduce the podcast at the start, other than. Like, I mean, people know that this is Philosophy with Will Anderson, and they've well, they heard. Must know the intro and they've probably you know yeah. like it's rare that they've got to this point in the podcast and don't know what's happening the music's happened and those sort of things so and they, and they looked it up they looked they probably typed in willosophy with will anderson to find the bloody thing in the first well, place well i've been told since 
that, and we'll get into the proper introduction in a minute, but we can just leave this in. I've been told since that I, because I used to say that, I said, well, if you're here, you probably know, you know, who's on the podcast and I don't need to introduce them. And a lot of people actually said to me that they listen to their podcasts on sort of an autoplay. And so often when they are listening to something, they won't necessarily, unless there is an introduction of who's on it, it isn't as if they have you know, looked it up specifically for that moment. So, Really? Imagine having that level of time in your life to just be able to listen to some random podcast <laughs> that just turns up in your ears. It, be it, a was, it was a foreign idea to me also, but I believe it does happen. So anyway, let's start the Amazing. podcast properly. My name is uh, Will Anderson. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. Uh, this is a show... Uh, uh, that starts with me asking the guest who they are. So that's how I'm going to start this show. I'm going to ask my guest, who are you? Oh, it was a deep question, Will. Mm. That's, a, that's a difficult one. I, I hope you don't mean that on a profound level. Or do you just literally mean I'm Andrew Hansen and I am a writer, performer, producer type, comedian type, musical guy who's probably best known for having done lots of TV shows with a comedy group called The Chaser, in Australia. Uh, is, that a, I, is, that a, is that the answer you're after? I don't have an answer that I'm after. I, I like asking the question and then see how perturbed or otherwise people are by the very framing of such a seemingly simple question. Because it's I guarantee you if we did like a compilation cut – of people answering that question, the predominant <laughs> thing you would get before they answer it is some musing on whether we are talking about the deep rendering of it or who I... Like, oh, it right, always feels yeah. like we start the podcast with people <laughs> immediately having some sort of existential crisis of how to answer that. And Well, of course, you're interviewing artists, Will, of course. We're all very complicated, worried people. I mean, who am I? We, you're we've, right. Yeah, we've all got issues. <laughs> we've all got issues. Yeah, I know. And you've got a microphone. It's very different. Like if you, you know, if you just walk into a room and somebody says, "Oh, who are you?" That that's different from sitting down with a big microphone in front of you and being say, "Who are you?" I agree with that. But so tell me what those. So if you did just walk into a room, no microphone, yeah, social situation, and somebody does say, "Who are you?" Well, what is your answer in that case? Yeah. Because yeah. I feel if you immediately went to, you might know me from the television show The Chaser, that would feel a little too presumptuous to answer the question that yeah. way. Yeah, that would be bad in, a, in just an office yeah. or, a, or a cafe yeah. or something, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be terrible. Yeah, I meant more, what are you doing here or can I help you, I guess, yeah, rather than... Yeah, yeah, I think, exactly. I'd probably ask, oh, I'm just, just looking for the, uh, the men's room, actually. It'd be an answer more like that, I'd say. <laughs> Okay, so yes, first things first, like there is a framing even of your professional life that you started with. So let's get the, I mean, not that it's the tricky bit, but just the, like, you know, the thing that you said at the end, but also kind of, you know, you almost felt obliged to say, which was the chaser connection. It's like, yeah, what what's the relationship with that now? When you do something that is so iconically identifiable, like... I, I imagine it can be both a blessing and a curse. Like, you know, and mm. I don't want to put words in your mouth or I just would like to know, like, you know, is there has there been times when your relationship to like being, you know, part of that group has has been different, that you've viewed it through different prisms? Yeah, absolutely. No, there has been because it's really 
Just a brand name, the Chaser. It was this name that was just thought up by Charles Firth in the late 90s for this comedy newspaper that he had started. And so it's not, re- it's not quite the same as a comedy group like Auntie Donna, which is specifically those people, you know, or, or, um, or Monty Python. It's those six guys. But the chaser is a sort of umbrella term. And so, and that, that is, but the, the worrying thing for those of us, particularly I think for the five of us who wrote and performed the chaser's war on everything and the hamster wheel, which were probably our most popular shows. Um, actually, CNN and N was popular too. Um, you know, we sort of made the, the name very well known in Australia but it's not necessarily our name. So there's a bit of a Beach Boys thing or a bit of an ownership thing now where, <laughs> you know, the name just gets bandied around and used by yeah. almost bloody anyone. I mean, you know, you just, like the guy, the guy who I asked to go to the men's room and when I walk into the cafe, he could probably say, <laughs> I'm from the chaser these days. Any, it seems to apply to anybody. And that's a bit worrying, you know. Like you, you sort of want to own your, your own name, and I don't, and and I'd, I'm not that comfortable with that, to be honest. You know, it is a bit, it's odd, because The Chaser still exists as a social media thing and a website, uh, which is largely run by Charles Firth. And those of us who kind of did those TV shows, we we are barely or, or not at all involved in the running of those things. Um, but, of course, people think it's us, or some people must. And so... You know, if I see a post go out, I think, well, I had nothing to do with that. Yeah, I, feel, I feel like I've signed something. I feel like I've put my name to some material. On behalf some material of the that... Chaser organisation. Well, exactly. I mean, how would you feel, Will, like if, if just any old stand-up comedian could just walk on stage and be introduced as, ladies and gentlemen, it's Will Anderson, and, and just somebody walks out and does some material, and it's not you. Uh, I mean, it's pretty nerve-wracking, actually, because they can say anything. And, you know, so I, I'm a bit, yeah, I'm a bit uncomfortable about the, the chaser thing in that way. Um, the other thing, the other baggage that comes with having done the chaser shows is, of course, people think it's a certain thing. that There is definitely a notion that the chaser is all about sort of topical comedy and political satire and nothing else, which is always weird. To, to me, and I talked to Chris Taylor from The Chaser a lot about this. <clears throat> We're always a bit bamboozled by that because only a tiny percentage, really, of our TV shows were actually topical or actually about politics. And, and I, I think, you know, of, of the screen time, particularly in The Chaser's War and everything, 90% of it was sketches about, you know, um, ordering Brashley in a restaurant or, or, or pranks where I played a guy who spoke too loudly on his phone on the train or or I pretended to be a, a, a um, carpet salesman. And, uh, you know, most of what we did was actually very generic, silly comedy. There was always a kind of a... There was a particular voice or a particular attitude that we brought to it, an angle. Um, but there is a strange thing that I find just work-wise these days or, or even trying to sort of book into gigs. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's from The Chaser. Oh, well, that's going to be very political. You know, or, oh, he's yes. going to talk about he's going to talk about Anthony Albanese for half an hour if we book him into this. Yeah. Or something like that. And I'm, I'm like, well, I don't really. 
I don't do that. And then, and particularly in my in my recent live stuff, I've I've done almost nothing topical or <clears throat> political or satirical. It's all been just silly, silly social comedy and observational stuff and absurdity thrown in. So the chaser comes with that baggage. It comes with this kind of expectation that you're something that you never actually did. <laughs> I mean, that's that, very weird. <laughs> that's really interesting to me because you, you're absolutely correct in what you're saying. But even I had had my memory of that, you know, sort of like, you know, a very simplistic Mandela, like understanding of the Mandela effect, like, you know, oversimplification of what they're talking about. But I, until you said that, I kind of had started to think that well, as well. and Everyone does. Yes. <laughs> it's not just you, it's everybody. And, I mean, we did do those. We did, you know, iconically, a few yes, short There was some iconically the, you know, we memorable did election things. coverage. But when you say this yeah. now, I, I'm like, yes, I guess that is absolutely correct. Like you, you started naming those characters and I, those memories started flooding back that it somehow, like I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yes, I can see it all again now. That does make weird. sense. It's like, um, I know, it would be like, a, you know, being in a band and being told, oh, oh yeah, you're the band who does mm. the ballads or something. Mm. And you go, well, actually, um, we did a whole mix of different uh, genres of song. <laughs> we didn't only do ballads. We did, we did some upbeat numbers too. And so <laughs> um, it's a bit like that. Uh, so let's start then with what you're currently doing and we can work backwards because I think that's, you know, rather than being defined by the past and like sort of telling that story let's like start right now and like work backwards because i think i feel like that's a who are you now like both as you know well let's start with work like you said that your you know latest show like very much wasn't you know of the, the you know politics of the time what what was it you know what were you yeah. inspired to like write about and why that why that direction I think I finally just started to do the the kind of comedy that I always probably leaned towards, which is very silly character based stuff, mixing music and sketches. You know, so so my live shows are they're sketch shows, and and I use a huge amount of audio in them, which I record myself, so so I can have a conversation with myself, and I tap. My uh, an iPhone on the stage. I just take my phone on the stage and I fire off lots and lots of audio cues, which might be backing tracks to songs, or it might be um, characters that I can have an argument with, and um, and and then I scurry back and forth between a guitar and piano. And my latest show was called Andrew Hansen is Cheap, and it was a it, it was a show ostensibly about trying to survive in these expensive times of ours. R- really, it's a bunch of sort of social satire sketches and absurd sketches that I've shoehorned into a theme, (laughs) uh, you know, to try and make it feel timely. Because everything relates to money. I discovered writing this show about money, every subject in the world can be brought back to money in a way. So, you you know, so I was able to sort of introduce my own sketch from a money angle and then do a sketch about online shopping, for example. It's got to do with money, you know, or um, or, or parenting, you know. So I do a, I've become one of those dad comics because this happens, doesn't it, to anyone who who has little kids. Um, so that that's kind of what I've been doing recently is this is these mad live fast paced comedy. I've have d- done three of them in the last few years, and it was something I always should have done, but I never I never did it. I've always been a ditherer, will. But where does so – I, I mean, I'd love to get to the dithering, but I want to 
Like, I just want to know about the, like, why the form, you know, like, why, like, why have those pre-recorded bits? Why operate them yourself? Like, why, you know, do it in that form? And even like the, the pace of it, like, where did that come from? Like, was there influences? Did you grow up watching something like that? Or is this just something that is inside your head that you needed to get out on stage? Why express it in that way? It is a bit of both. It's a bit of a bit of my childhood influences because I, I, you know, I grew up um, loving certain types of mo- mostly absurd or silly comedy shows from Britain. I mean, we we had to grow up with what we were given, didn't we? You know, it was just like <laughs> we didn't have much choice. So whatever was on the ABC was was some something that you would take, and so I took in the goodies and 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 sometimes Blackadder was on in the middle of the night on Channel 7 and I would record it on VCR and set it because it was on at like 325 I remember <laughs> <laughs> and so was the new statesman the show starring Rick Mail it was on in the middle of the night and I dug up this stuff which nobody else at school had had found and I, I didn't really like Australian comedy shows much growing up. They, they, they just didn't ring my bells, you know. It's so it's so personal comedy. It's like a taste in music, isn't it? Everybody has their own thing. So I, I took that in. But then as an adult, when I started doing it myself, I, I kind of stopped watching comedy and, and I actually kind of avoid watching too much comedy because I'm, I'm really – I've got that anxiety of influence, I think they call it. I'm really worried. I don't want to pick up too much – shtick or too much stuff that's going to end up in 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 my own work I want to be I want to keep on just being different from everybody else and I feel like the only way to do that sometimes is to just not watch what other people are doing and I felt worried about that until I heard Miyazaki say it the 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 guy who from Studio Ghibli you know the guy who directed those amazing animated movies which are really out there in different movies like Spirited Away and My Neighbor Totoro from Japan. And he, he, he was interviewed and, and he said he just doesn't watch movies. And he was asked about his influences and he said he stopped watching movies when he was very, very young. Um, and, and I think that's why he, he, he's unique, you know, because he's just unlike everybody else. So part of it, you know, part of why I've developed this, this onstage format is it's kind of, it's, as my manager said, it's, I, I don't think anybody else is really quite doing that. I mean, it's not, you know, there are other people who trigger their own audio cues and of that course. sort of stuff, but I don't think anybody quite does it in the same shape that I do it. I, I'm, a very, I'm a very writery sort of person. I don't, you know, like Tom, I was chatting to Tom Gleason about this and he sort of made fun of me for doing nothing in the moment. You know, and I said, no, I don't do anything in the moment because I'm not good at it. It's not my strength. But my strength is in writing scripts and performing characters that are precise and timed, and 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 then weaving music into it in a, in a kind of a mathematical way um, that's very exact. And and then so I thought, look, I'll just play to my own strengths and and do that. And because I can do characters and I can do music. I thought, well, I should bloody well just do that in my show. And I mean, I can't do do what you do well. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think I could ever do regular stand-up. It's just not my uh, my way of thinking or or behaving. And I don't think I have the requisite kind of charm or charisma or whatever it is that a stand-up needs to do in that pure form. But I but I am more of a sort of writery, sketchery, sketchery sort of guy. And that's that's kind of where it came from my childhood just watching a lot of sketchy written stuff (laughs) i mean that like makes a lot of sense to me Uh, like i'm interested in then in the 
process of how do you see that? Like you talk about, you know, that mathematical, almost mathematical construction of something, right? Like, you know, how I'm going to layer it, how I'm going to put it together. Is that when you're constructing a joke like that? Sorry, by the way, you're like, are people really interested in the two of us talking about how a joke is constructed? <laughs> to yeah. be honest, mate, I'm not sure they are, but I don't well, care because it's my is. podcast like, and I'm your... super interested in it. So, yeah. do it's you, niche. Do you see the joke in its layers and does your imagination do it? Like I'm imagining some sort of like, you know, you kind of see the layers in the structure or is it a thing that you build in that you might have a first idea and then you layer on a second idea or a third way of executing? Like, is it a construction thing or are you seeing it evolve into a 3D shape? Like how does, how does that work? You're right. No, I do see it. In, I think it's the first one. I think I, I think I see it evolve. In a, and it, it's got a. It's the sound of it too. Like I, I can never just sit there. I don't know if you're the same, but I, I, I've got to say it. Uh, so I've got, I talk the sketch. You know, and usually in the shower or exercising is where where it comes best. Yeah, and then and then it appears, and and then 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 I go back and try and fiddle with the structure of it, looking at it written on a page second, and that helps, I think. So first, first it comes verbally out out of you, which I think is where good music comes from too. It's just got to come out of you, out of your heart and your mind, and and then 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 I look at it on the page, and it looks, and and you can neaten it up and make it look really logical. But, but 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 even illogic needs to be logical, I think, you know. So so I think that's the nice thing about comedy is it's it's all about what's unexpected. But something can really only be unexpected if you're subverting a very strict logic to begin with. If you're Don't a, you yeah, think? You've got to establish an expectation for something to be able to subvert the expectation. Yeah, so exactly. the expectation either needs to be a societal norm, something that is actually already expected by the majority of people without you having to set it up, therefore, or something internally to the structure of the, the show or the joke or the bit, right, that you have to subvert, right? Yeah, yeah I, it is, it is. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I'm fascinated by construction and how – because there was two things that you just said then. I think often artists, like for true – and look, you know, I'll use art in as loose or as serious a way as people want to talk about it when we're talking about, you know, silly sketches and comedy and stuff. But let's just say art, right? I think that you've got to be arrogant enough that you think that something really beautiful can come out of you, which is the while you're exercising in the shower, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But not so arrogant to think that it comes perfectly out of you, that you're going to be, you know, immediately sit down at the piano and write Hey Jude or whatever, right? Like you can do a second draft. You can, you know, you can move some things around. You can, you know, and I think that that's what you're saying, that a lot of that that process. So you find yourself, like you mentioned children um, and, you know, how that changes, you know, what sort of performer you become do you do you think that that is it that is true did you uh, did you say that as an offhand joke or did you say that because you think that's the truth it's, it's made a bit of a difference to the kind of performer I, I think it's one thing it's made me um, much ironically work much harder even though you've got much less time mm-hmm. um, because you go oh life's short now <laughs> you know, now, that, now, now, that the, now that this has happened, I've only got about five minutes left. I better put it to good use. Oh, life short like, now. That's yeah, the best. yeah. It's like uh, yeah, these huge milestones uh-huh. arrives. Yes. Oh, crikey. Uh, next I'll be dead. So, yes. <laughs> so there's that. 
Um, I yeah, I think it's you know, it changes changes your worldview a little bit. Perhaps makes you a bit l- less cruel in some ways. Um, something like that, you know. Um, and uh, you know, cruelty. There's always a little bit of cruelty, I think, in in, in comedy hiding in there somewhere. Um, but you've got to try and make sure it doesn't it doesn't actually hurt anybody. Well, it, I mean, that's <laughs> an interesting conundrum, right? Because like it's that. And again, I'm hopefully I'm very par- very much paraphrasing Steve Martin. So please, like, I'm sorry if I'm getting this completely oh, go wrong. For it. But good. I, good man to paraphrase. But it, well, in Born Standing Up. And I have it's been a while since I've read it. So, but I'm going to go with the gist I remember. He talks about um, the idea of one of the reasons that he stopped doing comedy. Like, one of it was the kind of, you know, it got so big that he couldn't get any bigger. But one of it yeah. was also as you get older, that the things that he had found funny when he was younger, that ability to be cruel or dismissive about, you know, you know, people mm. who have, you know, lost kids or had cancer or whatever the thing might yeah. be, and it makes it harder to make the joke. And a lot mm. of, you know, funny jokes have a, a hint of cruelty in them. So talk to me more about, yes, like that changing perspective on the world and how you keep it in and but balance it against, you know, I don't know. Talk to me about that, I guess, is what I'm asking you. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, that's true, you know. I mean, not that not that most not the most comedy I think has to be cruel. No. But uh, but occasionally it's that uh, well, yeah, it was that that famous quote that of of Mel Brooks is about um, you know comedy versus tragedy, yes. isn't it? That uh, it's about other people's suffering. It's about other people walking into an open sewer and dying, um, which which it can be sometimes. And but but yeah, I think you're right. As you age. You know, the, uh, at uni, I, I studied this Australian writer a lot, Thea Astley, and she had this nice phrase that she, she the natural cruelty of the young was her phrase for it, oh. you know, which is, yes. <laughs> I think you do have that when you're a kid. And it is, it is fun. I mean, some of the, you know, I'm sure everybody has, remembers back to huge laughs they would have had with their friends, you know, trading very unfair and unkind jokes. Not not necessarily with the person in front of them who's the victim or anything, but just you know, there, there's a sensibility difference. I think uh, as you as you age, yes, yes. Were you a person who always wanted to have children, Andrew? Were you like, do you feel like you were one of those? I'm always interested if like you know, children happened to you, or you thought that that was probably going to be something that was going to be part of your life. No, I never did. No. I mean, I grew up, I was the youngest by far of my siblings. And so I, I never really encountered children. And I wasn't, wasn't that interested in them really, um, you know, until... And then suddenly my daughter was born and I was just kicking myself. Like, why didn't I do this a long time earlier? And then I would have had more time on the earth mm-hmm. with my kids because it could be completely changed. I mean, it's, you know, it's like just just kick, kick my head open and, and, and everything open when... When it happened, so I, you know, I I went from this, I guess, kind of what a lot of guys probably are, we trundle along life, not really thinking about it, and um, had nothing to do with kids and no desire to even really have them. And now they're by far the most important and and brilliant thing in my whole life. You know, ever since they arrived, <laughs> so I really had this hundred percent turnaround. <laughs> it was. It was very strange. I mean, I guess it's that sort of don't knock it till you try it sort of thing, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe it actually, and and I've become a very like if anything I've gone too far the other way, and um you know I've had I've, I've had a couple of friends with similar experiences. I think it happens if you leave it till later on too. You know, you've you've done everything else. Uh, you've travelled and you've had your fun, you piss farted around and you've mucked about, whatever, for a long time, you know, and 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 that's good, I think, because it it means that when you have the kids, it's it's all about it's all about them, you know. And I so mean, I, I, I just, also have like a, no science behind this, by the way. This is absolutely pure right. comedic speculation, but I believe. There, there might be much like the you know, um, you know when a w- woman gives birth to a child, you know the body releases something that means that you don't remember how traumatic it was, so that you will do it again, right? <laughs> yeah. I also believe that there might be some evolutionary feature that makes kids very annoying to people mm. who don't have kids, so that you don't <laughs> take their kids. Like honestly, yeah. I believe that because if kids were so appealing. To people who didn't have kids, you wouldn't bother having your own. You just go and grab someone <laughs> else's kids, right? You would, wouldn't you? Like like we do with a dog. You yeah. just, there'd be a kid shop, like a pet shop. Right. You just walk in and choose one of me. I mean, yeah. No, I think you're right. I think they are intensely irritating. Mm. And, and in fact, even when you got your own, other people's kids are yeah. incredibly irritating. <laughs> yeah. Still, they're not cute or, no. or nice. Only only my own kids are adorable. <laughs> Nobody else's. <laughs> <laughs> other kids, other kids get on my goat terribly. No, I think you're right. Um. <laughs> uh, what what is it that when you say that you know everything changed? Like you know, people have certainly you know heard people say that before. I'm sure, but um, for you, like, what did that practically mean? Like, what you know, when you say you have this moment, you suddenly realise, oh, my life's changed forever. Like, this is this is my life now. This is my mm. job is now, you know, looking after this person and teaching this person how to be a person. And like, did you think about it in that way or did, were you, because like, I, I'm interested in the the person who on stage is a mathematical, you know, planner of construction. <laughs> like, are you that same way in regard to constructing how someone's life comes together or are you a roll with the punches parent? Like, what's your parenting approach? That's interesting. Very much roll with the punches. There's no logic in in that at all. No, no. It's it's all about. <clears throat> no, nah, for me, it's all about, it's all rolling with the punches. Um, it uh, you know, the, I and and I built the kids into my recent material, as I mentioned, but but in a different way. You know, I I do. You got to have a comical attitude, so <clears throat> you know, I complain about them and how how they've made life more more difficult. But because you know, the reality. <laughs> It's kind of much more nuanced than that. Um, so no, but but the thing it did do was made me go. Oh, everything else is much less important. It made me much less stressed about my creative work and all my other other work because I, I thought, oh well, that that doesn't particularly matter now. Um, and not that I thought it through in a rational way, but it's more. It was more the case of, oh look, I, I just want to spend a lot of time with them, and I don't care if that drives me broke, you know. Like, but 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 um. So I haven't we haven't been using daycare and things like that because I, again I think because maybe I'm older and I'm buggered if I'm going to be having kids now and not see them you know so <laughs> I, I don't really because yeah. daycare is kind of the option you know it's it's kind of oh yeah we, here we go somebody else can can raise the kid instead of me while I go off and do my thing um, and sure financially a lot of the time you know. People need to do that, and I think maybe or, or we, they, we might need they, to do it soon. Yes, and they also have a like. Often people like have a job that they can't 
combined with being at home. Whereas like yeah, at yeah. least there's a creative person, no. you can combine some of your work with being at home. Like that's one of the advantages yeah. I see my creative friends have is that they can have that capacity to have that one-on-one time that has actually become something that like younger parents. So there's that, that that's the, the yin and yang of the whole, yeah, have them young, have them old situation, isn't it? Because like, if you have them too young, you have to put the, like, you have to like go out and work and do all these other things during the day. Whereas you're like, I'm just going to soak all this up. <laughs> Well, I do. I mean, I am going broke because of that. I, I just want to put that yeah. out there. That, like, it, it's not all as rosy as you say, being a creative person and all that. Well, yeah. But I look. I, I disagree. I think we've got a fundamental problem with society. I'm not sure we made the right decision mm-hmm. actually to build a society and an economy where, uh, you know, really to stay alive in a house, you have to have two people working full time in order to pay. For everything, and then in the and then you've got to sort of hand your children over to somebody else to be raised, which I think will will then cause enough psychological. Pro- I mean, haven't we learned? You know, I mean, we're all just overflowing with with psychiatric problems, and I feel like they're getting they they're no doubt getting worse because everybody's handing over their kids to be, you know, raised by not their parents, and they get. I'm sure they're going to grow up with all sorts of terrible uh, trust issues and anger issues and all sorts of things because of this. Um, It's weird. The human race, you know, I would have felt we'd have more agency over the systems that we construct because we make them ourselves. But for some reason, systems seem to just evolve, don't they, without without anybody really being in charge of them. And, uh, and And we find ourselves suddenly, oh, we've got this economic system that actually doesn't serve the best interests of anybody at all. We all hate it. Uh, everybody grows up miserable and lost and angry. And, uh, and and nobody, for some reason, is able to fix the very system that we've built ourselves. This is maddening to me. And I don't want to be a part of it. So, uh, you know, okay, I, so I'd love to be before, separate. Before we move on from this, I, I need to, like, I mean, because you're singing from my hymn book here, like, I I find this the most frustrating thing about being a human being is that we're the people making up the rules and we keep making up like you know the ways <laughs> worst of, rules like we like we keep going like when when you talk to somebody about like climate change or that like fifty people own half the stuff in the world like if you were just yeah. starting from scratch take one step back and go yeah. you know the world's about like we're literally facing the demolition of this like one thing that we all share together because a very small percentage of people want to be even richer than they already are. Like like 50 people have half the stuff um, yeah. and then we all just go, well, I guess that's the system. That's just how it, <laughs> it's how it is, I guess. I'm like, we come yeah. up with the system. It's us. It's our system. It's Isn't our, it system. our system. This is a, our system's ours. not perfect. We've, we've not. got some – we've got a few kinks in the system, guys. <laughs> no, you'd think we – you'd think – the Somebody could just fix that, yeah. or, or us, or us, if we just muck. We, can, we can't just together. sort of go. Well, that's just part of the design flaw. Like, no, that is. No. So yeah, when you look at the world and you see that, like, what do what is it that you do? Like, how do you engage with that idea? Well, I I rail against it these days in my in my live shows. Um, so a lot of my material, I think, is about <clears throat> you know pointing out the flaws in the system, and making fun of them. 
in, pr- in, t- in practical terms, what do we do? I mean, bloody hell, what do we, we get the whole human race on a Zoom meeting so that we can just nut it out? Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean what can we do? version of it we need to do. We have to do something, don't we? Yeah. Or is this, but yeah. isn't this the problem, right? Isn't this exactly what we're thinking of? Like where we're just going, <laughs> well, I, I guess I wrote my comedy song about it and Will ranted about it on his yeah. podcast, so we've done our bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very effective, is it? I oh, know, no, I don't think so, I know. Do you? Th- I mean, yes. Well, do you think comedy can actually change attitudes? Oh, beautiful or, question. Or change the world. Okay, I mean, what, what is your opinion? Uh, look, I think it can make tiny differences, yeah. you know. I mean, because, well, I know that from, from, from me being influenced by writers and artists. I mean, it, it, I've, I've been very struck, Will, by the fact that um, I, I later discovered in life that almost every single writer who I grew up admiring, um, whether they were a live performer or a novelist or, you know, and, and musicians too, and then when I, when I find out about their lives and when I've, as an adult, I've discovered they all have very, very similar values to myself. Like the, all of them, every single one of them, mm. almost to a T, has very similar politics to me, a very similar worldview. And, 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 you know, this wasn't, it can't be a coincidence, can it, that, that all, their, all, their, all their creative work went into my heart and soul when I was a kid and then I grow up and go, oh, gee, I, I share the values of these people. Um, so, so yeah, I think you know we must be able to shape people's individual. <laughs> so true. That is opinions. actually, I mean, of course. Like if you think about it, just in relation to yourself, like you know, yeah. I remember seeing the big gig when I was a kid in the country of Victoria, and I still remember to this day. Part of what I loved about the big gig was I was like, ah, oh, all these people kind of think about the world the way that. I think about the world. And then, of course, it was really the opposite, which was that I was thinking about the world the way they were thinking about the they world. Were. You know, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know, as a kid, I thought it was like, oh, I've met these like-minded people as opposed to, no, you are starting to believe these things because these people that you admire or find funny or interesting, you know. Like, I mean, obviously you've got to have yeah. some sort of aptitude towards it or something a part of you that lends itself to those sort of influences but absolutely on a personal level you know if you if it can shape you then it can something you do can shape somebody else in some way right not necessarily in a way you can control but it, it, but no, it can you don't yeah you don't yeah. get a say in it no. do you but so that so there is that but but then also i mean i i'm not sure that i write in order to improve society or anything like that that's not my aim you know my aim is to is to, because i enjoy it firstly and and secondly to provide a bit of diversion for for people as i've gotten older i've started to wonder if it's a bit frivolous so you know i've started to do some actual sort of arts work at a local level recently as well. Like I'm, I'm doing creative business work for a local council at the moment, for example, because I'm more excited these days, I feel, about what's going on down the street. Uh, that, that seems to me to be more relevant to people. If you can walk down someone, see something happening, you go, oh, that, oh that, that's interesting. Look, here's a play on here uh, just, just nearby, or here's an art gallery. Um, and especially now that, you know, screen and audio are so fragmented. I mean, you, you, you know, you mentioned how we were diving into the nuts and bolts of how to write comedy on this podcast, for example. And so a lot of our audio and video entertainment is so specific and niche that everybody's watching a different thing. We don't have a, you know, you don't turn up 
<clears throat> to to work or school and f- just talk about the same show now like we used to when you and I were growing up. Everybody had watched the same thing on mm. telly last night. That doesn't happen anymore. And and so I've uh, but but what what does bring us together I think is the events that are happening in our in our local area. I think that's really interesting. Uh, so uh one of the things that you touched on there is that idea of communal experience. So, like, you know, in Australia this year, yeah, with the, I think the Women's World Cup, the Matildas, there was part oh, of yeah. what people responded to with that was clearly the game itself, you know, the players, all those sort of things, like all the obvious things they responded to. But I do think that there was also just this great feeling from people being able to join something and experience something together and be part of a broader conversation because not that long ago, you know, 20 years ago, you know, like you said, everyone watched the same Sunday night movie or event TV or whatever it might be that, yeah, well, enough people watched, you know, the same thing that, you know, there was this idea of what would people be talking about at the water cooler the next day, whereas, like, that idea is... It does not – it barely exists anymore in that grand scale. So what you're talking about is concentrating on it in like a like that smaller scale but still f- fulfill, fulfilling that need we have as people to do something together, to be part of some shared experience. It is, which, which I miss out on. I ache to do that because I've never, you know, like, like most creatives will – and, you know, I don't feel like I've ever really fit in to, to where I am or whatever. And, I, you know, and when I was growing up, the the books I was reading, the shows I was watching <clears throat> were actually not the same as what most people were. So so I guess in a way I've always lived in the era of streaming and fragmented niche <laughs> entertainment <laughs> because, you know, I wasn't – I'd turn up to school, the kids would talk about whatever the, they had watched last night, whereas I was – I was watching my VCRs. That's right. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't watching I... the ABC at 3.35 in the morning. No, they weren't. They were, they were not. Only I was. Um, yeah, and there was one other kid in the school. And it's actually, I owe him a lot for, for introducing me to some of these shows. There was a kid who was four years older than me. It was a big difference at school. I was in year seven. And Donald Matthews was in year 11. And he would, and I, I, I thought he was amazing because he was a very funny comic actor and he would, he'd put on these sketch See, he, he would like a lot of high school students and like i did at the end of high school too they do cover versions of, of sketches i don't know if you did this at <laughs> yeah. school but you know like at the school variety yeah. night you'd, you'd you'd go on and do a python sketch or yeah. something and then and then maybe in year 11 or 12 you might write your own sketch and try that um but, but this is yeah. That's what he or was doing. In the doing case of and- my early comedy writings, a hybrid of the two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there have been a few of those around. Yes. <laughs> I love a plagiarist. They're so funny, aren't they? When they don't, when we don't realise you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I mean, there is that idea, particularly early on, where you just like have no idea that that. Isn't the case, but also your understanding of comedy, I think. I think sometimes early on, I mean, I remember even from when I first started doing stand-up, I'll just quickly tell you this because you'll be amused by it, I think, in regard to this conversation, which is my, like, one of my first routines I thought was an entirely original routine, right? But later (laughs) on, like, realised was very much structurally, because, like, it was about a different topic. I thought I was doing a different routine, but... 
Tony Martin had a routine about lifestyles condoms. And like, and the kind of premise was <laughs> right. lifestyles was an, another word for penis. And then he did a whole bunch of riffs on, you know, penis and lifestyle. Like, you know, that was kind of the area in which it was, right? And I had this thing about Greek yogurt and Greek being another word for anal. And then it kind of was like, and like to me in my head, I was <laughs> like, idea. this is a completely different idea. But it is, <laughs> but it isn't. It's the same. It's actually it's the, the same, same joke, right? About diff- yeah. a different topic. And, but you don't understand that at the time. And like, I mean, I remember I, for a while, I was fascinated by going to see first year, you know, university law reviews and whatever, because it would always be a case of like, oh, look at that. Yeah, yeah, yep. I I know where you got that one. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) They did, they did do that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But so the idea of art on the street was what we're actually um, talking Mm. about. And that idea of, I mean, being amongst art, living within art, like the idea of like it not having to be necessarily – so talk to me more about that. That was that would seem to be yeah. why you know I'm fascinated by by that. So tell me more. Well, look, I, th- yeah, I just feel like when when everybody's watching something different on TV, it's so irrelevant. And I, I so often start the day with conversations with people. Um, you know, oh, d- did you see? Thank God you're here. Or did you see uh-huh. Severance? Or have you been watching whatever? And then everybody blanks out. Uh, no, um, what's that like? Oh, you know, and 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 there's a real sense of disconnection, you know. Whereas, um, I I think it's exciting though that if if you walk down to your local shops and somebody's doing a show on the street, or there's a bar with live music in it, mm-hmm. and then everybody goes, "Ooh, hello!" and then you're all you're all in there, you're all in there together. I I think that's more exciting. Um, you know, and and or festivals too are a bit like that. I mean, everybody's seeing a different show, but you know, Melbourne Comedy Festival, or Adelaide Fringe, uh, at least everybody's together, and and I found that really, really a good feeling in recent years. It's a it's a nice feeling for somebody who who's never really felt like they belonged, you know, in the scene that they're in. Like I've never really belonged in our culture or our country or <laughs> that that sort of feeling. Um, like I think like a lot of creative thinkers you know a lot of us are like oh i don't i I just don't this is not me these people are all completely different from me Uh, it's what we can bring too i mean you have to be like that don't you to to entertain other people you've got to be you've got to be quite different and odd so i mean it's an interesting concept and i'm fascinated to like unpick it a little bit more which is that when you say like, you know, because I'm interested in like how what you're judging the that's how they think by. Like, you know, what is what yeah. is, what do you consider to be the sort of cultural <laughs> yeah, norm or median or average or whatever that <laughs> well, there isn't one, is there? No. I mean it's a mad thought. I realise yeah. that too. I realise it's a it's a bonkers thought. And, and and at least we do live in an age now where we kind of celebrate difference or embrace, you know, diversity and difference. I mean, I think we're finally getting around to that, but but it is. I I, th- I find it mostly in commercial stuff. I th- I think maybe the common voice is like whenever I see an ad, <laughs> I feel very bewildered and bamboozled. I'm like, well, well, this this doesn't appeal to me at all. I, I I don't belong on this earth, because if they're advertising this, there must be millions of people who are into the into this product or and the way it's being sold to me. Um, but I I really intensely don't get it or like it. Um, so you know in that. <laughs> 
in that sort of commercial arena. And I, I received like emails for things that dads would want for mm. Father's Day, for example. <laughs> okay, like like yes. Father's Day uh-huh. is coming up. And there's, there's all these suggested products, you know, moustache shaving kits and uh, things. <laughs> and I don't want any of them. And I am a dad. And I yeah. think, well, if I'm a dad uh-huh. and I don't want a single one of these Australian... <laughs> These Australian Father's Day things, then I, I, I may as well be on Vena. I may as well I may as well be on another planet, uh, you know. I, <clears throat> so I think, yeah, capitalism often makes me feel very excluded because it gives me a window into what the market wants, and I never seem to want what the market wants. <laughs> and so this is where, like, measuring things, you know, by the their value in the market becomes a problematic measure of the value of things in society, right? Like, you know, because, like, if we measure everything by its commercial appeal, then things either are changed to have more commercial appeal or things without commercial appeal get marginalised because they can't, like, pay their own they way, do. right? This is where mm, it becomes... They do, it's the problem. And then... This is this whole, we are the people who come up with the rules of how this society as a government and how <laughs> we come operate. Back to them. And this is what we've come up with. Are <laughs> we happy with this system? Are yeah, we happy with, with a system that is, like, I mean, because it's, you've, we've seen it change in our lifetime, right? The level of inequality, I mean, I'm, mm. I'm talking to you, not at you. You know, these are things that you absolutely know. But I just want you to speak to them also, which is this idea of, like, the entire infrastructure now of the world in which we live, you know, online, social media, you know, and how much that's changed everything. The majority of content needs to be monetized and most of the time when it's monetized, it's monetized by advertising. So advertising and marketing is now so inherently baked into the infrastructure of of everything. Like, you know, the luxury of like public broadcasting, which the two of us have been, you know, lucky enough to be able to do at some time where it, you know, hopefully yeah. isn't, doesn't have that like taint of being you know commercially measured in regard to what it is that you would be able to do but yeah like speak to me more about like you know i don't know like about all of that no i think you're right will i mean it is a luxury isn't it and that you know i know abc the people who run that place so they're always tearing their hair out about over the difference between whether it needs to does the show have to rate or does it not have to rate i mean it's a bit of both they're trying to have it both ways i mean i i guess something has to have a certain audience though to deserve an existence i feel like if something is so unpopular that that the only person watching it is the person making it then maybe that doesn't necessarily deserve to exist. Maybe there's something <laughs> wrong with it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, if no, literally no. So I, my question for me: What is the minimum audience for something to so that it deserves to exist? And and I must say, the number's pretty low for me. Like, I, you know, I think something probably should deserve to exist. Uh, you know, let's say a, a, a very unusual um, cabaret show or something like that, or <clears throat> a show put on by. What I heard Brett, Brett Blake refer to as circus turds, <laughs> which I thought was a great term for those types of shows. You know, one of those very niche things. Maybe I reckon if it's if a show that only appeals to an audience of six or seven people, I, I think that's still fine. You know, that that probably should you know that deserves to exist. And um, you know, I often feel that that my sensibility probably only appeals to six or seven people. So that's fine. You know, I, I think that's. I think that's fine. It is a shame, though, if if things can only exist through through advertiser support. 
I mean, we've seen the results of that. You know, you look at sort of free-to-air commercial TV in Australia. I hadn't watched it for years. I unplugged my TV in 2010. And then um, years later, I'd, I had a look at commercial TV <laughs> again. And it was really like having my eyes and ears rinsed out with skunk piss. It was just the most awful experience. I couldn't believe that there was such a... <laughs> Such a form of entertainment at all. Um, I was like, who is this for? And, I, and um, even more amazingly, it's supported by the market. You know, that, that whole, it's all paid for. I mean, a lot of pe- enough people must like it that, that, it that pays for itself. And so that's partly, again, why I think I don't belong on the planet. By the way, like eyes rinse with skunk piss is an expression that's going to stay with me for a little while. But I am interested in where this singular, not singular, but like, you know, let's just say you didn't feel like you fit in with the mainstream, what was being advertised as the majority view. When did it present itself? Like, or when, maybe these are two different answers, I'm not sure, but when were you aware that the way that you looked at the world and thought about the world was not necessarily what you considered to be the mainstream look at the world. Yeah, it would have been the age of four in uh, in preschool, definitely. Yeah, it would have been in like before I started school. I I knew I could. It was very clear that I was extremely different from any of the other <laughs> kids in the. And probably all preschool kids probably feel that yeah, way. Yeah, you know, I'm not not saying that no. I'm special or they're like, oh, look at me, I'm the unique artist or whatever. No. You know, I, I imagine we all turn up before school and go, oh my god, who are these freaks? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, everybody, look at that kid. He's nothing like me. Well, look at that kid over there. You know, and um, <clears throat> yeah, I saw. I got a bit of an inkling of it too when when one day. Um, a uh, a bunch of boys in the preschool, which or in Melbourne it's called um, Kinder. Uh, where I live in Melbourne these days. In Sydney, when I grew up, it was called preschool. The thing you do before school, this 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 line, this boys boys formed a queue to take turns to punch me in the face, one after the other, and then I thought, okay, this is this is a very clear sign to me that that I'm I'm not the same. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Also, I don't think things like this happen in, in preschools nowadays either. I think I it's mean, all, for, you know, there's you cameras on them. Because they, they, they're, they're, they're meant to send photos yeah. home of what, what your kid's doing during the day. <laughs> and I don't think that would look like a good photo. Yeah, like imagine, seven imagine times, <laughs> like a row of people yes. wanting to yeah. bash your child. That's right. The teacher has to write a little report yeah. too and send it to the parents. And now she'd have to write, today we mm. spent the day forming a queue so that we could punch <laughs> Andrew. Uh, <laughs> Here are the photos. Here are the photos. You know, <laughs> I don't think this would happen. But you know, this was the early 1980s. I think. Yeah. What was it? Yeah. Well, yeah, it would have been the early 1980s. Yeah. And so I reckon a lot of people. You know, we we do feel that we're different from. I, I see it in my own kids. I can tell. You know, my, my six year old. I can tell that she probably feels that she's <clears throat> quite different from all the other kids. You know. Uh, I mean, maybe this is something that brings us together. Finally, will as humans, <laughs> is, that, is that none of us feel that we're the, that we belong, you know? And ironically, we're united by our dissimilarity. I, I, I do feel that actually. I, I, that was the theme of my 
2020 tour actually, which I called Solo Show. The theme was about going it alone, you know, and and doing things by yourself. And it was a theory I posited in the show. The ultimate conclusion of the show was that the the very thing that unites us is that we're so disunited. Uh, (laughs) which is still i think a note of hope yeah but but is the problem that like we like i mean so the problem is sometimes that we won't be honest about how different we all are right like this is my major issue with like religion or any sort of program really i'm not a joiner um you know and i can imagine from the conversation that we've had so far that like you know you probably are not like signing up to a whole bunch of things but maybe that's wrong i I was tempting to though i i wish i could yeah i I wish i could but you know well because i i I think that's i mean the problem with any of those things for me is i'm like yeah i'm i'm not saying that like yeah jordan peterson's 12 rules for life didn't work for jordan peterson like i'm just saying (laughs) that andrew hansen would have a different 12 rules for life and i would have a different 12 rules for life and if i thought i was gonna live by your rules or by jordan peterson's rules then that would be a mistake because they're not they're not my rules they're not your rules it'd be stressful wouldn't it yeah imagine having to live to somebody's there's an idea for a reality show will do you want to do that maybe we could do that together you've got to live by somebody else's rules i mean that's for a a year i mean that's not actually the worst idea Great idea. <laughs> it's a re- Look, I told you I was into commercial television. <laughs> uh, okay, so you, so young, are you, when you say like, you know, say, okay, let's just say kindergarten, we all feel like we, you know, don't fit in. Is there a point where, like, do you make friends easily at school? Like, do you have a good, like, support network? Like, what's, you know, young Andrew like? Yeah, I. that's a funny thing. Like, yeah, I, I didn't fit in, but I was... I had no trouble making friends, uh, at least after the preschool. <laughs> in fact, one of the things preschool yeah. taught me yeah. when I so went into I, school. I should get some friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought, now yeah. that was a robust yeah. lesson yeah. for me in, in how, how not to yeah. socialise. Okay, well, I've ruled that one out. That's, uh, so, yeah, yeah, this is not. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I thought, look, it's better that I be yeah. the bully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Imagine. It doesn't work that way with kids. I mean, know. yeah. I, I did do that for the first few years, mm-hmm. you know, as a reaction against having been bullied. I thought, well, I'm bloody not going to try that again. I'm going to make sure that I'm <laughs> – I never was a physical bully. Um, but, yeah, I used to tease other kids, you know, because I, I, I didn't want to be at the head of that punching queue again particularly. So, <laughs> But, I no, I made friends very easily. It was interesting. I mean, I think, you know – because if you find somebody with a similar sense of humour mm-hmm. to yourself, well, then you're suddenly sh- you're sharing all sorts of things. You're sharing a world view and you're sharing your priorities and you're sharing your, what you value. That's what a sense of humour is, I think. It, <clears throat> you know, if you find the same things funny, then you've probably got a very similar outlook. Um, so I, I made terrific friends, and uh, particularly in high school, you know, I made this, this fantastic bunch of <clears throat> very close and good good friends, and we had a lot of good times together. And some of the funniest, I mean, they were just one of my high school friends in particular made me laugh more than more than anybody else. You know, more than any professional comic has ever been able to make me laugh. I think I'm sure a lot of us in comedy find this that we have a a friend who you just click with, um, somebody you've personally met who 
you're overlapping your sense of humor. The Venn diagram is almost 100%. And so, yeah, my, you know, my friend David taught me a lot about uh, just being fun. Also, because he was an optimist, I was a, I was a realist. You know, what some people call a pessimist, um, <laughs> which I, I don't think that I don't think a pessimist is a pessimist. I think they're, they're tended to actually realist. Yeah, that's the sort of thing a pessimist would say. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it ever? So, yeah. Um, but even to this day, you know, I and, and this is quite a thing, you know, like for, for somebody who's in their late 40s, um, and I, I still sometimes remember some some of the stuff that David used to say to me in high school when we were like fourteen or fifteen, and if, and I'll think about it sometimes in the bathroom and find myself doubled over crying with laughter. I mean that's a that's a big not many and I I don't think many fourteen year olds could today probably say something to me that makes me. <laughs> Cry with laughter. Um, I but mean, it does, also, it would be yeah. weird if you were hanging out with 14 It would be weird. I wouldn't want to do that. No. You know, yeah. yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there laughing with school kids on the train, you know. <laughs> what are you guys laughing <laughs> about? <laughs> yeah, 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 tell me. Oh, on. that's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. So David used to, he would create, the, he and I used to have fun at school sort of making up these kind of fantastical caricatures of of the other students and the teachers, and then we'd invent scenarios. So, for instance, we had a science teacher who we'd sort of characterised as this sort of uh, <clears throat> frog-like swamp-dwelling creature because he was a bit that way, and we, we, we called him the swoggy. And uh, he and we used to imagine we'd just sit in there in class, and and um, David would say something to like something to me like, um, <clears throat> "Oh, imagine if Swaggy turns up to school tomorrow, but instead of driving a car, he's he's sitting atop a giant pair of sweaty feet, slapping across the surface of the swamp, um, you know." <clears throat> or he'd say to me. Something like, oh, imagine Swaggy having sex with his wife. I bet you she has to lie there and she gets no pleasure out of it at all. And he just pumps at a thousand kilometres an hour and then he withdraws and spawns millions of black eggs all over her belly. And and, and we would be weeping with laughter at the, at the idea of this science teacher yeah. <laughs> doing this, you know. Um, another one, there was this very affable sort of friendly maths teacher we had. And um, David once... Uh, he, he was lovely and he had a very sort of quiet voice like this and a very harmless fellow. And David once said to me, imagine him, imagine if he just ran out of the staff room screaming at the top of his lungs, oh my God, I need to shit. And he went running <laughs> for that toilet and he started hammering on the door and his pants were down at his ankles completely and his underpants as well. And he's screaming while he hammers on the door, let me in, I need to shit. And, you know, I would, I'd be weeping with laughter at the idea of this school teacher sacrificing his whole career <laughs> because he, cause he'd, <laughs> cause he'd forgotten he needed to do his shit. <laughs> and so he did. <laughs> and the, uh, this mild-mannered guy whisked down the pants in front of all the students. Um, you know, so this had me, uh, you know, in stitches. And, and I've, uh, I've, I've never laughed as much <clears throat> at a professional act as I have just in conversation with David. Uh, and and it, it destroyed me. Last year, David died. And it just, you know, unexpectedly, he had a stroke. And, and you know, this just, it was, it, it, it completely destroyed me for months. You know, I was... <laughs> I was just wiped out. Because also, you know, you talk about your influences and we always get a bit sad when our comedy influences die, but we don't often know them. It's like, because I think of him as a comedy influence, you know. And uh, it's like, oh, but he was also, you know, a best friend of mine. And so that, well, that too, I, th I, th I think that's also had an effect, you know, on my recent 
or certainly on my recent show and my recent sort of desire to do stuff locally. I, 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 I'm t- this is rather dramatic, isn't it? I bring this out halfway through the podcast. I've, I probably should have mentioned this earlier as a, as a factor in why I became... You know, a bit oh, more no, interested no, in this, doing something a little is, bit less frivolous. This is you know? this is good though. Like, I mean, I didn't I didn't see this coming. You've dropped it. It was a bit of a surprise. Like, it was it? a bit of a mid-season. <laughs> this is I know like, how to be a good guest. Yeah, I don't just burn all the material. No, I don't burn all the dead friend material up the top. No, that was. I, I mean, know, we did like an out. hour of chat that I was very happy with. Anyway, <laughs> I would have. I was like, this is going well. Really digging Andrew's vibe on just the world in general. We've got a lot of things in common. I'm really enjoying all this. This day seemed like. Bring a great d- guy. I'm really like liking this guy. He's funny. He's imaginative. And then suddenly, <laughs> hang on, he's dead. What have you yeah, done yeah. to me? Uh, yeah, yeah. I took. I yeah. wanted to take you on the journey. But yeah, okay. Um, but it does know. feel like it has. So talk to me more. Well, talk to me as much as you're comfortable about how that did influence. You know these things we've uh, been spoken well, no, about. No, it is comfortable. I, th- I think you know. I, I, I'm sure David would be. Well, he was always like because he was a surprising person. So you know. <clears throat> he died by surprising us all, just racking off unexpectedly. He used to do that socially too. He'd just, <laughs> you know, he'd suddenly, like like you and I right now, if I was David, I'd just go, oh, my God, I've got to go, bye. And he'd, he'd just be gone, you know. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. He'd just be out of, the, out of the room in one second. And so his, his leaving us was kind of similar, similar style. It was sort of like, you know, and then he'd leave everybody else going, what, what? Um which is how he did it. He probably, he's probably, he'd probably be amused by that, I reckon. Yeah. <clears throat> now, it started to rain on my studio roof. Can you hear that, Will? Uh, it, I'm was... glad that you just said that because I was it's like, not you. I thought it was like I was looking. Did you see me looking around then? To say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I thought, like... yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> you were looking around. I thought, no, 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 you're, like, you're in Sydney. I was like, it's really sunny. <laughs> and I was like, I don't understand what that noise is. But <laughs> this is what it's... you get when you interview somebody who's in Melbourne. Yeah. It's going to rain partway through uh, the interview. Little white um, noise. I can barely hear it, honestly. It was just like <laughs> literally that thing where I was like, oh, it's my. I also have. I don't know if you're like you. We're similar age. Um, I've started to get a little uh, tinnitus or tinnitus. I'm not sure how you meant to pronounce that, but oh yeah, tinnitus. Yeah, mm. oh, that's annoying. It isn't is it? Annoying. I, I had a bit yeah. of that because my jaw was wonky. Mm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a wonky jaw. Okay, why was your jaw wonky? It was it. it I just got a crooked face. Will mm. you know? Haven't you seen it? Have you? Crooked. Did you have to do something to remedy your wonky jaw? Yeah, I, I just had to um, stop yawning in the style to which I was accustomed. Oh. And, and once I adjusted were you, my yawn... Were you, were, you, were yeah. you ruining your face through an incorrect was, yawning technique? It was an incorrect yawn. My yawn needed adjusting. Is that right? Yes. So, so I, you know, I yawned at a slightly different angle. <laughs> okay. And, and then the tinnitus disappeared. It was brilliant. Oh, God, because it was annoying the shit well, out of me. I didn't, I'm- Maybe there's a chance I'm yawning. Well, in the wrong check way. check your jaw. Will no. go go see a couple of ENTs. You know, you have to see a couple because the first one I saw just said, oh, "Nothing you can do about it. <clears throat> you, you're just old." <clears throat> the second one, you know, he also said, "Don't don't eat crunchy foods." Oh. So you cut down on the carrots okay. and the nuts, you know, and then your tinnitus might go away. Do you oh. find that annoying? Does it drive you batty? Uh, at the moment, it's only mild and occasional. It's not like, you know, sort of constant and painful. It passes pretty quick. But I certainly wouldn't like if it got worse than 
it is like at the moment it's fine if this is what it continued to be i would be fine with that but that's not how things work <laughs> nah it's gonna get worse it's gonna yeah. get unbearable isn't it <laughs> that's what it's it, what i imagine that's yeah, what it feels yeah, like yeah. that's it in five years you'll be, yeah that's so right. i'm really clinging on to this it might be the way i yawn thing in the hope that i can just <laughs> yeah, hang on to reform that. my yawning and <laughs> well this is how you should get all your medical advice yeah, yeah, it's yeah. from your podcast anecdotally we, yep, yep that's the most reliable <laughs> literally t- 10 minutes ago was like what works for other people doesn't necessarily work for you but i've heard this yawning thing will fix my tenderness so um, <laughs> uh, no, my mind was really low i used to and I, I got angry when i stayed with my wife's parents when it, that's when it first started this low it's a noise like that you know and i was getting frustrated at them because they couldn't hear it I was saying, no, they're, they're, look, it must be the farmer, because they live in the country. It must be the farmer over there. What's he yeah. doing? Is he irrigating his dam? Uh, you know, why can't you hear this? <clears throat> um, but it was in my head. In, in your own head the whole time. So, uh, Andrew, the broad conceit of this show is I ask people whether they have a life philosophy of any kind. And mm. it can apply to anything. It can be more than one thing. And an appropriate answer is also no, if you'd like to say no. Um but uh, do you like? Uh, is there so- you know, Is there something? Yeah, I hit upon one. Will when I <clears throat> was younger, um, I hit upon it shortly before I finally just started doing sort of full time entertainment <clears throat> as a job because I was I had a very unhappy run from about eighteen to twenty or seventeen to twenty six or something. And I was off the rails and useless and dithering around and <clears throat> didn't know what I wanted to do. I was very unhappy. And then I had a real light bulb kind of realisation, which became my life philosophy, which is that life is extremely hard and you shouldn't expect it to be otherwise. And as soon as I, you know, for some reason, I mean, I think guys are a bit hopeless in this way. I, mean, I feel like women figure this stuff out much quicker than we do, but it did take me till at least twenty six to to just go. Oh yeah! And as soon as I just said that to myself, like life is terrible, it's really awful. Um, I felt a thousand times better. I just felt so good, uh, you know. And I've been really much more able to deal with life ever since I just said that to myself. I mean, you know, people talk about positive self talk, Ryan. You got to talk positively. You always hear this in self-help manuals. Oh, you you got to say, "I can do this. I'm great. I'm special." But what I say to myself to cheer up is, "Life is shit. It's the worst, most horrible thing." You know, and you just got to put up with it. And and then honestly, that makes me feel so much better about everything. It makes everything easier. And uh, I just get, then you can get on with the job. Like if you just accept that and stop whinging, you can get on with all the horrible stuff and just do it. I mean, so that works magic for me. That's so interesting to me because, like, I can't work out whether that is realist, the realist or pessimistic. Like, you know, in regard to <laughs> that framing, you know, I get it though. I get the freedom of it because, I mean, life is shit. Like, if you take one step back again, if you if we just take one step back and have a look at life in general and you look at the majority of life that it has always existed, it has always been very very hard right like it is and even the modern day conveniences are very new and only available to a small percentage of people even in the world in which we live there are whole parts of this planet on which we live in the year 2023 that don't have anywhere near the 
the life conveniences, things to make life more easy than we do. It's always been hard. The majority of it has been difficult and it is incredibly difficult for the majority of people. And the expectation that it is going to be anything other than difficult probably is diluted, right? It's bananas to think that you're (laughs) going to be the one that it's just easy for when in the history of everything, like... Like even, sets you up for disappointment. Yes, it sets, does. Sets you up. And, but, <clears> yet, <throat> but yet, how do you not let that drag you down, I guess is the question. So there is a difference between realistically assessing that and then I would argue that a lot of people, that's too much, right? Like if we, if we sit <laughs> with the idea people, that life's really hard and then you die, often unexpectedly yeah. <laughs> and definitely there's no sort of moral logic to the universe at all. Like it's just pretty cruel and hard and then you die. Then how do you not let that weigh you down, I guess? Uh, it doesn't weigh me down personally. I totally agree with you. Well, most people would probably find that way of thinking t- t- too hard to to move on with, and they'd probably prefer to think positively you know, and and all roses and rainbows. Um, but it it just helps me because I found that the other way made me feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Right, so <laughs> I found that you know, expecting things to go well that just wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I it was just this lovely discovery that when I expect things to go badly, uh, they usually go less badly than I'm expecting, and, and then I feel good. So it it it's a very personal philosophy, and, and it just works for me. Um, you know. But, of course, I'm the, the person who was taping things at 3.30 a.m., you know. It's, it's my own system. Oh, no, I, I understand it. Like, you know, I, I, I totally understand it in a, in a life sense and also in a creative sense. Like, you know, early on in my life, I think I would have described myself as being a perfectionist and I realise how ridiculous that is now because I've never been perfect at anything and the idea that I just – some random fucking kid born on a dairy farm, you know, would be the one, like the one who was able to do things perfect. I mean, it's deluded, right? Like it's bananas. We've had the perfect kid. Did your parents say, oh, he's perfect? It's an unlikely location for the perfect kid to arrive, but (laughs) here he is. But it's weird. It's weird that we even think that, right? But but then – when you are like passing on worldview to your children, like I mean, you know, you're shaping them now. You you are partly responsible Whoa. for how they view the world and how they think of the world. How much of your like worldview, you know? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, you know, how does that Ooh. affect how you you know talk to children, you know, about the world? I've got to be a bit careful what I say to them. I realise that at least, if I, you know, um, because like I say, I'm aware that my worldview might not necessarily be useful for them. Um, so what I well, what I've told my older kid is a very softened version of that that philosophy, you know, yeah, which is which is kind of oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Sometimes life is a bit is a bit crap because, you know, 
She'd come home and complain to me about 50 different things that happened during the day. She's like myself, you know. She's like me. When I was young, I'd <laughs> pick, out, pick out all the negative things that happened during the day and dwell on them for weeks. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, life is, life is, a, bit, is a bit shit sometimes. And I was like, you know, yeah, but, but you can always look forward to something. Actually, and this is true. Generally, if you wait around, <clears throat> then a good thing comes along. I mean, it just... It just does. There's this Tom Petty song called Something Good Coming. And he sings, you know, there's, there's, there's something good coming. There has to be, is the lyric. Mm. <laughs> and it's, it's great, very down song. Yeah. But I think it's a beautiful mm. uh, piece of philosophy because, you know, maths has it and probability has it that if you wait around long enough through a bad period, then something good will, will eventually happen, you know. It's it's going to. I mean, it might be a long wait, but eventually it's going to happen. And when good things do happen, do, are you then able to enjoy those good things? Like, say, for example, let's just use the chaser as an example, right? Like, you know, you're involved in this thing that then becomes, you know, super successful. Like, is like a, you know. To to the point where it's still, like you said, something that you kind of have to reference like today and perhaps forevermore. In the same way as George Clooney when he got, got his Academy Award, he was like, you know, George Clooney, Batman, you know, like it's yeah. always going to be there, right? Like so <clears throat> yeah. what happens when something, you know, like or whether it be like, you know, the birth of your child or whatever it is that you want to frame as being – like a great thing when success comes, you know, like, like, are you able to then accept that, you know, find joy in that? Like, does your worldview like prevent you from being able to be in the moment and enjoy that? Or does it actually make that better? Nah, yeah, I have no trouble. Uh, after, after I turned a certain age and, and I think after I developed my life philosophy, Lucky I had one, actually, for the format of your podcast. I mean, it? look, you of, know. Of people, life being shit, yes. People work something out on the way in, but it feels like you've actually got one. Oh, no, I've had that, that, that's a bona fide. I've, I've had that at the front yeah. of my mind for many years. Now, after that point, no, I have no trouble enjoying myself, Will. Yeah, mm. I've, I've always been very good at enjoying myself. Like, you know, when, when my first kid was born, I just took six months off to, to be with her. Luckily, I was, was uh, <clears throat> had enough savings to do that for example uh you know and I've, I've i've taken my wife we bug it off on all sorts of lovely holidays and things like that i like enjoying myself i enjoy enjoying myself i think particularly um because i was unhappy when i was young i had this kind of baked in unhappiness and negativity and uh, you know which which might have just been due to lack of exercise to be honest i was very unfit you know i mean part of what part of my other life philosophy is if you feel shit you just go to the gym yeah. and all of a sudden your life is 20 times better i mean it's quite simple uh, you know, i mean definitely you at least go for a walk a walk yeah, always yeah. helps yes yeah. yes you don't have to do much actually to, to, to cheer up it's uh, you know you don't have to profoundly change things or see a therapist necessarily you can yeah you can just walk about at a brisk pace <laughs> uh, okay, so do you have a belief system around, well, this is the way that I normally ask it, which is what do you think happens when we die? Yeah, this I'm, I'm open to, uh, you know, because, no, because nobody knows. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in research and facts and we just don't – I wish we had more research and facts about how it feels to be dead, but it's, it's quite irritating, isn't it? That's the one thing that nobody's really been able to properly research. Uh, is, is what does happen when you're dead. Do you think um, that the knowing would make 
our lives. I mean, of course it would. It would have to substantially change the world forever. I imagine if we actually found out what does happen huge, one way or yeah. the other. But like, is, yes, it would. Would you like prove. to know? Like, I mean, regardless of what the answer is, would you like to know? Oh yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a, I love knowing things, yeah. you know. Except for spoilers in stories, I want to know everything else. I love, I love information, love knowledge, and uh, you yeah, don't think I'd, that I'd, knowing how something worked takes away any of the mystery of like the thing itself, nah, right? Doesn't at all. No, no, no mate. It actually improve. I think it can improve your your appreciation of it. You know, and this and this English teacher <clears throat> at school, who I liked a lot. In fact, I still catch up with him sometimes. And, you know, he, he was telling us why he said, look, look, sometimes people say, oh, you don't want to analyse a poem because if you do, it wrecks it. He said, but no, 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 it's like being a, being a mechanic was his analogy. He said, you, you would get in under the bonnet, you'd see how it all works, see how the engine goes, and then uh, you'll be able to be a better driver. <laughs> that was how he described it. You know? I'm not sure that's true. I thought that through and thought, I, actually, I don't think yeah, I don't think I don't, the skill of driving has much no, to do with knowing how the engine works. You actually, need to know how the steering wheel works. And yeah, maybe like no, the... you don't. You don't need to know. It was a flawed analogy, mm. but it, it sort of apply. I like it though, mm. even though it doesn't quite make sense. Um, you know, I think if you know how how things work, it it does give you a, an appreciation of them, I think. And so, yeah, I'd be happy to know how death works. I'm, I'm, look, I, I think it's highly likely that we just get snuffed out. You know, I, I, I kind of, I have severe doubts that we're going to wake up in a, in a, in paradise, or, uh, or come back to life as a <clears throat> insect, or whatever the other beliefs may be. I, you know, I imagine those magical sort of beliefs are highly unlikely, but they, they can't be disproved. Uh, so I'm open to anything. How do you then give your what you know? How do you bring meaning to your own life, or is even that something that you think about? No, that's a great. I've I've never really thought about it. I've I've always been a pretty directionless person. I've never been very ambitious. I've never had like dreams or goals that you're supposed to have. Um, I, I think most most of what's driven me in life is just to uh, uh, avoid pain, boredom, and suffering. Mm. As best I can, and that's that's pretty much what's driven almost everything I've I've ever done. <laughs> it's just, just to do that. I just don't want to be having too bad a time, and uh, <laughs> so it's not you know like a lot, a lot of people say, oh yeah, what do you want to do with your life? Where, where do you want to go? You know, you're you're meant to have this plan, and you're meant to sort of yeah. No, I've I've never had that. Um, so that's that. I guess maybe that's another one of my life philosophies. <laughs> just. Don't have too much pain, suffering, or boredom. I mean, it's and you'll be fine. It seems so sensible. Like, so how do you? Because, like, it that way the you know the joy in your life or the you know the amount of pain in your life is at least somewhat in your control. Whereas if you you know measure yourself by these huge externalities, like you just suddenly put them in the hands of things that you can never control, right? Like. Well, that's true. Kind of, kind of. But I have a few regrets too. Like, um, you know, I, I, I feel like I didn't do enough creative work maybe okay. when, I was, when I was younger, for instance. Like, especially live comedy, you know, it was always like, ah, oh, maybe I'll get around to, to doing a bit of that um, properly someday. And I dabbled in it, you know. So I'd do, you know, I'd do, I'd do the odd sort of gig here and there. But I was never, as, as you know, like I was never like a, a room comedian doing stand-up rooms 
until until the last few years when I thought, well, what, what, I probably should do that. I mean, again, I was sort of running out of time. Um, and, and I was sort of, why didn't I do that all this time? And I think it's just because... <laughs> You know, like I said, I've always been rather unambitious and just sort of drifted towards doing things that kind of interested me or that I thought, oh, that might be nice to do. Um, and then I got a bit excited about the idea of, well, you, know, what, you, you know, there are all these comedy, especially after moving to Melbourne, which I did five and a half years ago. I'm like, oh, you know, here we are um, in a city where it's actually part of the cultural fabric to do this, I should probably embrace the fact that I'm here and just start, just start performing in in comedy rooms. So I did. I, it's got this weird thing where I only started doing that when I was quite old, you know, at exactly the point when most people actually give it up, I think, and stop doing it. But um, it's almost you know, a different perspective because I've been thinking about this a lot recently, which is I like, I'm you know. Being back in the city, re- I've just been doing some smaller shows like at the comedy store and play, like not big theatres, you know, just being back in spaces that are more part of the spaces that people would go to all the time to, you know, see entertainment. And I yeah. love it because, as you said, you're part of the yeah. cultural imprint of the city, you know, and there is something is great, quite special it? about that. Yeah. So, what do you like about that? No, I do. Yeah, no, I do like I, I do like that feeling, and and the, there's something special of, of sharing something in a small room, you know, like a little secret, as well. It's just between us, um, you know, and you can get away with more then too. I mean, less so nowadays when there's some dickhead pulling out their phone to film you, and then. <laughs> Maybe it'll end up on YouTube or whatever, but um, but no, there is something nice about that the the littleness of comedy rooms being up close. You can see the the the, per, the person's face, and you know, uh, I, I do like that. And it's also a Melbourne thing too. You know, it interests me that having come from a city where it's not something people automatically think of doing at night. Like you know, in Sydney, you say, oh, what, what do we do tonight? Should we go out for dinner? Maybe go to the pub. Um, maybe see a movie. And in Melbourne, people say, what should we do tonight? Should we go for dinner? Maybe go to the pub? Maybe see a movie? Maybe see some comedy? And, and they automatically mm. think yeah, of doing and, it. And you kind of um, have that sense of and, that and the, there will be something on somewhere. Like there, there would be, a, there would be do, some yeah, sort of comedy room within, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it would exist. Yeah, like if you if you made that yeah. decision, you, you, you wouldn't somewhere. be disappointed. You wouldn't be like, oh, well, there's yeah, no to comedy tonight. Oh, <laughs> well, we tried, but um, got to <laughs> got to wait another ten months until <laughs> until, <laughs> until the next gig, something like that. Yeah, and so I yeah, no, I really enjoyed. That well, I had to do something, you know, because it is weird moving to another city, you know, um, even in Australia, which is so similar. Everywhere in Australia is so incredibly similar. We all sound the same, and we we pretty much act the same, you know. But then I discovered these little little cultural differences, and thought, oh, I'm going to get into that. That's good. Uh, if you could wake up tomorrow, and this, so you do not have to learn how to do this thing. You don't have to put in any hard work. You just wake up. And you oh, have God. the ability to do something. It can be like a skill, a talent, a, you know, whatever mm. it might be. But you just, you know, you wake up and you can do it. Uh, what would what would you love to be able to just do? 
Oh, look, Will, um, I have always, always would, would love to have just been co- I'd love to not be unco, just just for five minutes even, even just five minutes, because my whole life I've been unbelievably unco. Uh, so so even a few, few minutes, minutes of just co. being able to throw and catch a ball, like if I could catch a ball, that would be nice. I feel like that would be great, because I was not, I was not raised that way. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I'm worried that I'm not giving this to my kids as well, because I see other dads right, and they're out at the, the park, and they've always got a yeah. fucking ball with them. Well, there's always a ball. It's just a given, and it never occurs to me to take no. a ball out. And, and this is because when when my parents took me out, they weren't ball no. parents either, and they they weren't sport parents at all. So I, I never got any amount of co growing up, and I, I didn't like it. I felt uncomfortable, and and I think it's made me slightly funnier because I think I've got a physical clumsiness and um, awkwardness, which is quite useful as a performer to to delve into that. Uh, I, I I made a show recently that that had a lot of dancing in it and you know the choreographer (laughs) i could see you know it was just impossible for this poor choreographer because she discovered i can't even walk like a person she told me you know like i'm I'm not even even my walking my arms swing not the right arm matched (laughs) to the leg so (laughs) so you know like most people just go for a walk Mm -hmm. their arms naturally Mm -hmm. swing i think Mm -hmm. the opposite arm Mm -hmm. maybe moves to the leg Mine, it could yeah. be 50-50. It depends on the, it depends on the day. It depends on the walk as to how my arms might swing. And, uh, and as soon as so you think that, about it, you, you can't know, remember how you meant to do it, right? Oh, it makes it worse. It makes it worse. It makes it less likely to be the correct arm. Because <laughs> this choreographer sort of had to dumb yeah. down the dancers to the point of just walking. So he said, all right, what about we just do your dance? You can just walk. <laughs> To the towards the camera, <laughs> no, 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 not like that. Uh, no, that's not walking. Uh, <laughs> you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> Here's how to walk. Look, think about this was the lesson I had to have. <laughs> so it's something I've missed out on, and I wouldn't mind being able to do it to just you know be able to play a sport or. Something like that. It would be nice. Um, Andrew Henson, I've got a couple of questions left, but uh, before I do get to that, can we do some plugs of some things? What can what can we tell people about in your world that you would like them to know about? Oh, thank you, Will. That's very kind of you to, to offer to plug some things. Well, the, the audiobook versions of my fantasy series have just come out. If you have kids, <laughs> that's something I can plug. I, my wife and I wrote this series of four books, and that's something I've kind Actually, I say I'm, I'm not ambitious, but I have always kind of wanted to write a fantasy series because I loved, I loved growing up reading a lot of, you know, medieval fantasy, swords and sorcery stuff. And so we wrote this Egyptian, this ancient Egyptian fantasy story for, for young readers that's about mummified animals. And it's called Babshaki and the Animal Mummies, which is a very long, complicated title that we didn't really want to give it, but the publisher <laughs> insisted on this long, difficult title. You can just call it Animal Mummies. I think Animal Mummies is probably, a, you know, that, that would have been a nicer title, I feel. Um, unfortunately, it's not called that. But it does have the phrase animal mummies in it. And um, it was huge fun to make audiobook versions of this because, um, you know, I got to make all the, the characters sound the way that we'd wanted them to sound. Uh, so, uh, Canus the jackal mummy sounds like this in the book, which I'd always wanted him to sound like. <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's an evil jackal, for example, you know. And, uh, you know, and in this, uh, 
We've got Prong, the Ibis mummy, who I always imagine might have a Kiwi accent, um, <laughs> something like that, even though, even though she's an Egyptian Ibis mummy. Um, so, you know, we, we were able to do, bring these characters to life and you know, finally get these audiobooks out. That, that, that's probably just the only thing I can, I can plug at well, the moment. Well, that's a good thing animal, to plug, though. Animal Mummies that's audiobooks. A, hey? That's a great thing to plug. I mean, that sounds <laughs> absolutely wonderful. What was it about those sort of, you know, fantasy books? It's funny, I have recently <clears> – so I've done uh, – I'm reading a lot more. Uh, I've had a big year uh, of reading. This yeah. has been my big year of reading yeah. books. Why and, is that? Uh, what, what drove you to reading a lot more? Got offline – that, so, yeah. so partly oh. had some time, but partly mm. was also what you were talking, like you've been talking about quite a lot in this, which is the idea of like, you know, finding your own happy places. And for me, you know, great memories, you know, I absolutely respond to, you know, laughing with your friends. Like I absolutely, like when you were talking about that, I'm like, yeah, I don't think I've laughed harder than I laughed with my, you know, friends when I was that age either. But the other thing is I loved fantasy novels when I was like, you know, 13, 14, 15, you know, and particularly comedic ones, I will say, like Douglas Adams and like Terry Pratchett and those sort of things. But, but you know, more broadly I read like, you know, and I've just started – reading so um this series of like novels there's like a bunch of them by this guy called robert jordan i believe his name is and they're these big oh, like yeah, robert it's jordan. called the wheel of time it's like a big adult didn't, they're all didn't he leave everyone did, didn't he is robert jordan the one who just dropped I think dead he, I think he died writing before, writing yeah, the series like he, he, and everyone's like yeah no! he died before he was done but i believe there were he I believe he left some notes and someone else finished it, is what I've been told by people who, before I embarked on this 20 book journey or whatever it is that I've, but I quite well, like, uh, I like. You made your own bed there, Will. <laughs> I knew what I was getting into. He was already dead by yeah. the time I started. You know what I mean? Like for a lot of yes. other people, they were there for the long ride. I, I'm like, that's fine. I, I like, but I like the idea of being able to be in a world that I can be in for a very long time, like that creation of the world. But what was it for you? Like what 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 were the inspirations? Like what were the books that you first fell in love with? Yeah, no, it was that. I <clears throat> I was also a big fan of Douglas Adams. I loved the idea, you know, because I'd already enjoyed a bit of, um, you know, I was a big fan of Doctor Who, which is it was kind of a fantasy and sci-fi mm-hmm. thing, and I and I loved the the C.S. Lewis books, and I I loved these. There was this series by David Eddings, who, uh, you know, I loved as yeah. a kid, and it was quite shocking to me as an adult to find out that David Eddings was a very bad person, oh, and so was his wife. Was he? Like he and his wife, yeah, he and his wife were jailed. For uh, child abuse. What? You know, and I yeah, lo- yeah. And long oh, be- my long God. I loved were- those books when I was a kid. Did you too? read those books? Oh, really? No. I yeah, loved yeah. those books. Those books were, were great. It was horrible to find this. I'm oh, sorry to break I, the news. I did not to, you know can look this. it up. Oh, no, no, look no, it up on, that's on Wikipedia. You know, and, you know, it was very upsetting uh, in a way. It was but also upsetting I didn't know to his read his wife was books. bad as well. Though, and like, his wife. Oh. She was no good. She was in on it. Yeah. No. yeah. And, and it all sort of happened before oh, they were authors. Oh, no. You know, it was kind of pre-internet. You could oh. you could go to jail and then become a famous author and nobody yeah, would know. Right. You know. It was like pre – it was in the pre-information. Oh, no. 
age well, that's or whatever. Really, but those that's yeah, really what bad, a sad, sad note. <laughs> like, I'm sorry to say, I mean, just terrible. We're crushing our childhood heroes here. For you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I won't, don't don't let me tell you about Douglas Adams. No, Douglas Adams. I think he was a good. I think he was Thank, a good guy. I hope so. Um, uh, all right. So so I love the escapism too because yeah. you know I like and that's why I got into video games. But then I got out of video games after I had partly because I had kids. And they're too time-consuming. I wanted to be more productive myself. But also the problem with video games is they're so immersive, yes. they're better than life, better than real life. And so I found every time I stopped playing one, oh, it was a real come down. Yes. It was like, oh, no. Oh, don't tell me I'm back here again. Oh, God, this is awful. And I'd want to go back to the game. So uh, I found them actually a bit of a problem for my, uh, you know, just for my mental well-being. So I've kind of put them aside. Uh, two final questions. Uh, I used to, on my desk, have a little reminder to myself that said, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And like for me, that was just trying to free myself from connecting, doing something with expectations of, of you know, whether it would work or not, right? You know, like because uh, I think sometimes that yes, gets in the way yes. of things. So I'm going to ask you that question. What would you attempt to do? if you knew that you could not fail at it? If I knew I could not fail mm. at it, th this is a great – look, I immediately think to just, you know, creative things. Um, but, um, but I also think about, like, some of the things that I've avoided because I'm a bit risk-averse, being a realist, you know, and one of the so, – so things like bungee mm -hmm. jumping and skydiving and parachuting – I would do those things if I knew that I wasn't going to die. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, yeah, they'd be the things. Okay. Uh, but, but I don't trust them because uh, or getting in a helicopter. I'll mm. never get in a helicopter. You always read stories about helicopter crashes and the, the news story, they're always in the news. And the news story always seems to say yeah. the pilot was very experienced mm. with over 35,000 flying hours to his name. <laughs> and I always think, well, if that's the case... Yeah. You should never get in no, a helicopter because there's the always most experienced ones can't handle them. <laughs> yeah, never. He's never a beginner. It never says, "Oh, yeah. it was the pilot's first it was journey." Day two. No, <laughs> no, no. That never happens. In fact, it's probably safer yeah. to get in, yeah, with a, in a beginner you helicopter's pilot. You're not an experienced <laughs> yeah. pilot, are you? Because yeah, that's right. No. Killing people. Yeah, but, no, otherwise, give me the wheel because I've, I've never done it. We'll be safe. Yeah, let me know. take. Yeah, they're going down. Let me take this. I've never flown one before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I want to make sure we'll get there in one piece uh, and not be in those news all stories. Right, final question, and thank you so much for doing this show today. I have super appreciated you being on. This has been very fun. Uh, oh, it's been it's been very fun. Thanks for thanks for asking me on, Will. Look, you've been doing this for years. I must have been very low on your list of priorities. No, it's not yes. how it works. <laughs> not how it works, Andrew. It is not how finally, it works. Finally got Firstly, my, yeah, my I, I had a year episode. off. I had all of last year <laughs> off, so this is only – podcast is only back you this year. too, yeah. And so – and yeah. I also it just – it's not how I book it. It just books – like there is no – like if people went and tried to find a pattern – in how this show is booked, <laughs> then they would not be able to find one they, they, because come up with it is based mm. entirely on whim, which is you know. Is it, it is, really? Is, is that how you? Is that how you yeah, do it? Yeah, like it's very sense. Like I don't really mm. know why. I like I often find that uh, like so much of my creative process is reactionary. In that, it's if I had done 
So when I finished doing it, the show last time, the show had like escalated to the point where I was having Julia Gillard on or the captain of the Australian cricket team or these like big yeah. celebrities <laughs> with big ideas. And I walked, like I stopped doing the show for like a year. And when I came back, I haven't done any of that. I've only spoken to comedians and because I just wanted to talk to comedians and a lot of them have been people that, you know, really? are really new or, you know, certainly not household names. Yeah. Like, you know, and because they're the conversations I'm interested in having right now. And some, so sometimes it's just reactionary. Sometimes I like, you know, I don't necessarily go in and even articulate that that's what I want to do. It's just what I want to do. And so that's what it becomes. So when I talk to people, there was some reason that I wanted to, talk to them you know like and it doesn't always like make sense why like it just what, what was the reason what, what reason did you want uh, to talk mean, to again Manson? i'm not even sure like why it would have maybe, been at the time like when mm, we booked it yeah. do you know what i mean like as in like when i said yeah. yes to the idea that we were going to book you there would have been a very compelling reason but it doesn't mean that two <laughs> weeks later i can remember what that reason was i just remember that it felt like a good reason and then we did it that's that's how the show's booked i have a time machine i do not for legal reasons have a time machine but hypothetically if i did and i were to offer you one round trip either forward or backward in time um you can go anywhere by the way the rules of time travel and whatever Ooh. doesn't matter Ooh, you can yeah. go wherever you want to go as far or as little away back forward i don't mind but where would you go to oh yeah look well i'd probably just want to pop a little mm. bit forward uh, you know if i got one yeah, trip one, one round one, trip you know yeah, yeah well I'd, I'd like to just pop 50 years yeah. 50 years ahead maybe spend a few weeks just to check out that things are going to be okay mm. Because this is what we're all terribly worried about yeah. at the moment. Is like, is uh, is it just all going to be a disaster? And I, I feel like I'd like to do that just to reassure myself. Because then, because if it is okay, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you go fifty years ahead and like, oh, actually, the climate's fine. Uh, the human race is still here. Uh, oh, look, people are eating. Uh, people have people are okay. Uh, stuff's going on just the way we thought it. it you know, just the way that it has been. God, that would be a relief. It would be, but how, how likely? I mean, you, how I run the risk if it's think, a disaster. Yeah, I was going to say, you do run I the risk. I think it's maybe unlikely. <laughs> I know. I'd run the risk of it being an apocalyptic horror. <laughs> and if, then you have to come look, back. But if that happens, then then that's, that's, like, I guess it's a relief in a no, way. No, I think that'd be useful. Yeah. It's, it's, like the death, it's like the death question, yeah. Will. <laughs> It'd be useful to know because I could build the bunker yeah. then. I'd go, right, okay, it's yeah. all going to shit. Come on, kids, get into the, get into the bunker. Uh, you know, we're gonna here. We're gonna we're gonna grow our own stuff in a greenhouse, um, and or whatever we need to do. You know, for for war. Yeah, no, is for I understand that, um, Andrew. Thank you. It's very practical. practical <laughs> yeah, it was a bit practical, wasn't it? Question, but that's okay. So, I, I don't mind a little I'm a practical. Realist. Yeah, exactly. Um, and look, you know what? And I'm gonna say realist, not pessimist, because. Like, I don't think a pessimist would go forward. I think a pessimist would be too pessimistic about what you would find when you went forward to actually go forward. So I think it resolves whether it's realist or pessimist. Uh, Andrew Hansen, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you, Will Anderson. Thank you.